Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. Good to see you. Um, well, I'll tell you this. I didn't expect to be preached from this couch again uh, in the future, but here we are. The good news is I'm not preaching from this couch because, because of COVID, but instead I'm preaching from the couch in my basement because we are in transition from one location to the next. So if you are watching um, at home right now, live on Sunday, um, or if you are uh, watching at a, at a later time or whatever it may be, this is not a permanent thing. This is a one week thing of me preaching from my couch again, uh, because the good news is, the exciting news is, next Sunday, which is September 12th, we will be in our new location at a, at a place called The Other Barn in Columbia, Maryland. It's right by Oakland Mills High School. If you're familiar with the o Oakland Mills area in Columbia, um, it's right at the, in the same parking lot where the farmer's market happens on Sunday mornings. So um, hopefully you come and join us next Sunday at 10 o'clock at, at The Other Barn as we, uh, as we move into a new location. And we're really excited about that. Also next Sunday, we will have a nursery available for, for kids. We haven't had nursery available yet since we've been back in person, but we all have our elementary school uh, or K through fifth grade, which is our Hill Kids. And now next Sunday, we're gonna be opening up zero through, uh, through pre-K. So we will have a nursery pre-K area for, for our kids. So if you've got young kids and you haven't come yet because there hasn't been a nursery, guess what? Nursery's opening up next week. So I'm very excited about that because that means that my wife is going to be able to come as well with our son, Russell, who's only two. Um, and so, uh, so it'll be an awesome time. We'd love to see you there. If you have any questions, reach out, let me know, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be an awesome thing. So today... We're kicking off a new series for the month of September called The Bible, simply called The Bible. This series, uh, I'm going to be uh, honest right up front, for this entire month, this series is not something that I created. Um, uh, well, first off, obviously, in regards to just the Bible, I'm not the first uh, person to preach on the Bible. Um, actually, it happens every Sunday. So, <laughs> But this particular series that, that we are going to be preaching from, that I'm going to be preaching from, it, it comes from a series that Andy Stanley did. Andy Stanley's a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, it's a series that Andy Stanley did called The Bible for Grownups or The Bible for Adults. No, The Bible for Grownups. And uh, actually, I hosted a community group that went through this series uh, a year or more ago, um, a community group that, that I hosted online. And so if you were part of that community group, then, then uh, you will probably recognize some of the things that we're going to talk about. Um, and, uh, and that's okay. But uh, I found this series incredibly helpful for my faith. So we did a community group uh, with this. And by the way, by the, at the end of this month, the end of September, last week in September, all of our community groups are going to be starting up again. We will have community groups online. We will have community groups in person. We will have women's community groups, men community groups, different ones that are meeting in different locations at different times with childcare, without childcare, um, all of those sort of things, different age groups. So 
make sure that next Sunday when we're back in person, there will be a sign-up table and you'll be able to sign up for your community groups. We're going to blast it out um, through email and online as well. So you can sign up that way, but keep an eye out for that. We believe that every person should be in a community group. That's really how we grow deeper in our faith. So I hope that, I hope that you consider that. So the end of this month is when all those will be starting up. So I did this particular series. We watched Andy Stanley preach this series in a community group that I hosted, and it was so incredibly helpful for my faith. And as I was preparing to do this series this month, I was always preparing to talk about the Bible and, uh, and, and a broad overview of the Bible, because a lot of us don't really have, as we're going to talk about today, a solid understanding of what the Bible actually is and what the Bible actually says. So I was like, okay, let's do a series just talking about what is this thing that we call the Bible. And as I was preparing for it, I, I, I was going through and, and I was reading different things and in my mind, planning out things and writing down the direction that, that I thought that we could go in. And the whole time I was just like, you know what? That series that Andy Stanley did is so good and it's so helpful. It was so helpful for me and for the people who were in our community group that I, that I felt, I just felt like we should just do it as a church. So that's what we're doing. So I'm upfront and honest with you. Um, uh, now, whenever I use a series that somebody else has put together, just so you know, um, one, I will, I, I will always tell you uh, that I do that. And then two, um, I also make it my own. I, I, I go through the, the sermon or the series and then I pull different things from it. And then I may go in different directions at different times. But it comes from the foundation of the series that Andy Stanley did called The Bible for Grownups. So that's, that's what we're doing this month. So what is this series actually all about? It's about understanding this unique ancient book that many people base their life on, or at least many people say we base our life on. So you may not consider yourself an expert on the Bible, or maybe you do. I don't know exactly where you fall, uh, but most of us at least know some stories from the Bible or some stories about the Bible, but very few of us actually know the story of the Bible. So not just the stories from the Bible, but what is the story of the Bible? In other words, how did we get the Bible to even begin with? Where did it come from? It's not like it just poof appeared out of nowhere. How did the Bible come to be? Where did it come from? And understanding how we got the Bible is almost as important as understanding what's in the Bible. It gives us better insight. It gives us a better idea of what the Bible is actually trying to communicate when we understand where the Bible actually came from and how it came to be. So that's, that's what we're trying to do this month, and that's where we're going to start today. As a kid, for me, growing up, knowing the, the background of how the Bible came to be really wasn't very important to me as a kid. But as an adult, it's very important because if, if we don't know the story of the Bible, then it will be easy to discount the stories in the Bible. That's, that's the danger. If we don't understand where the Bible came from it will, and how it came to be, then it'll be easy to just discount the stories that are actually in the Bible and what the Bible actually says. It'll be so easy to just toss it out the window. I mean, how many people have walked away from their faith because they simply just don't believe what the Bible says anymore. It's a very common thing. And maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe, maybe in your past, you've gone through a time where, where you said, you know what? I just don't believe what it says. 
I don't, I just don't believe the stories that are in there. They're so outlandish, some of them. They're so different from, from my understanding of the world. They're, they're, so, they're so out there. I just don't think that I believe what the Bible says anymore. And we know that that is an issue. And even if that isn't you, hopefully that isn't. That, that hasn't been my experience, but I know it has been many people's experience. Even if that wasn't your experience, we know that it is a common experience for people in the world. So our goal is to try to understand the story of the Bible to help us better understand the stories in the Bible. That's, that's the whole point of this series. So if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's difficult to embrace the stories in the Bible. And part of the problem is the way that we got our Bibles is not the way that the world got the Bible. See, when, when you got your Bible, when you got your Bible, it was all chaptered and versed. It has page numbers. It has titles. It has headings. It has maybe even some footnotes in the bottom. If you've got like a study Bible, then maybe there, there's like sections where people are giving you some explanation about what, what that verse is saying. Maybe it gives you background into the Hebrew or the Greek wording in, in the Bible. So for most of us, we get a Bible and it's already put together for us. It's already bound together. It has a, maybe a leather cover or, or a hard wooden cover or, or a paper cover, paperback, whatever it may be. And it has all of this thing that's put together. Maybe some words are highlighted. If you've got a red letter Bible, then all of the words all the, all the things that Jesus spoke that are in the Bible are highlighted in red so that you know what it is, right? That's not how the Bible appeared to the world, but that's how you and I got our Bible. But you know that this is not the way that it came to be. How the world got the Bible actually gives us insight into the stories of the Bible. So this right here, this is, this is my go-to Bible. I have a few Bibles. Uh, a lot of times when I'm putting together a sermon, I don't always use this Bible, um, I would often use this Bible to preach from. When we were in the movie theater, I had to um, use either, I had to just put the scripture in my notes or use my phone because it was so dark. I, it was hard for me to see. And now it's making me feel like I'm getting old. So anyways, but um, this, this is my Bible. My Bible. I have a few Bibles that, that I work from. The one that I typically use in my office to put together a sermon is actually called a parallel Bible. It's an NIV and the message version parallel. So what that means is when you look at it, right? So this is the way my Bible, my, my, this is not the Bible I'm talking about, but there's two, right, like columns. In the parallel version, it will have the NIV version of scripture alongside the message version right next to it. So it's two different versions that gives me more insight into what the verse is actually trying to say. But this Bible, this is kind of like my sentimental Bible. This is the Bible that I got when I graduated high school. I was, I was a teenager at Crossroads Youth Group. And, um, and everybody who graduated high school got a Bible. And this Bible, I'm going to get a little closer here for you. See, look, it's got my name on it right here in gold letters. It's like a leather-bound book. It's, 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 it's an it's a easy-to-use, easy-to-carry-around book. But it's a book that I've highlighted a lot of things in. I've written some things in. All of those sort of things. So this is, this is kind of like my go-to Bible and the Bible that I've had the longest. Um, I've had uh, Bibles before this one, but this is the one that I've actually really used. And now you, you probably have something similar. Maybe, maybe you have a Bible that you got as a kid. Maybe a Bible that was handed down to you. Maybe you don't own a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please let us know and I will buy you a Bible. I, well, the church will buy you a Bible because we believe that, that, that it's important. And if you're like me, that when, then when you received your Bible, 
you probably were told something along the lines of, this right here is God's word. Everything in here is true. Try to live your life by what it says. That's probably something similar along those lines uh, when, when you received your Bible. This is God's word. Everything is true. Try to live your life by it. That's often what we, what we tell people and we hand it over to them. And I've all, personally, since I grew up in the church, and I never had a time where I really walked away from the church. I had times where my faith was more serious than others, but I've never had a time where I walked away. Um, I've always had a very high level of respect for the Bible. But maybe you weren't given the Bible as a child. Maybe you were told even not to read it. Maybe, maybe you were instructed by your family, your parents, your friends, whoever. Don't read that. It's worthless. Maybe, maybe that's your experience with the Bible. I've got no idea. You know your experience with the Bible, your introduction to it. Only you know that. Only you really know how you feel. But regardless of how you were raised with the Bible, most of us, we develop an understanding of respect for the Bible, not based on reading it, but because very few of us actually read it. But really, most of us base our understanding on the Bible off of what we were told about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Most of us don't, don't base our understanding of this off of what it says. Most of us base our understanding off of what we were told about what it says. Very few of us actually do the research ourselves. Very few. You know how much you've read the Bible. I know how much I've read the Bible. I can tell you this, I haven't read it enough. And uh, I would be willing to guess that you would probably say the same thing. But most of us base our understanding of this book or this collection of 66 books, most of us base our understanding off of what somebody else told us about this because most of us don't want to take the time to actually go through and read what it says in here. Since that is a case for almost all of us or most of us, Here's what happens. We carry our childhood perspective about the Bible into adulthood. That's the truth. Typically, what you believed about the Bible as a kid is what you believe about the Bible now. Not always, not always, but typically. For many of us, our perspective of, of the Bible is this. If the Bible says it, then that settles it. Whatever the Bible, whatever the Bible says, that settles it. That's what I believe. I'm going to take it exactly for what it says. I'm going to take it literally in most aspects as well. For others of us, it just isn't that simple because somebody somewhere along the way pointed out things to us in the Bible that you weren't taught in Sunday school. Maybe somebody pointed out something in the Bible that you had never heard before, that you had nobody had ever talked to you, nobody had ever explained to you, and somebody else told you about that. You've never read it for yourself, and you thought to yourself, well, that's not the Bible that I know, and if that's in there, then what else is in there that I don't know or that I don't agree with or that I don't like? And it can contradict what I was told or how I was raised, and now we have this complicated relationship with the Bible, and it simply isn't. It isn't as simple as just saying, well, if the Bible says it, then that settles it. It's just not that simple for me because I've, I've learned other things. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you're at. You find yourself having a difficult time reconciling what you found with the way that you live. 
And that's a tough place to be. How do I reconcile what the Bible says with the way that I actually live my life? Because most of us, it contradicts. Doesn't, doesn't line up. Our lives don't match what the Bible says. And we try to figure out, well, maybe that's literal. Maybe that's metaphorical. Maybe that's for the, you know, the Israelites in the Old Testament. It's not for me today. Maybe what, there are all of these questions that can go into it. So let's talk about first today how we even got this Bible. Where did it even come from? And you may be surprised to learn that the story of the Bible does not begin in the beginning. It's not like the Bible was created book by book, you know, starting with Genesis. It's not, it's not like Adam and Eve were, were in the garden and they just started writing down what it says in the book of Genesis. And then all of a sudden, oh, that's how we got the book of Genesis. And then, and then it moves on to the book of Exodus. And then it keeps going, you know, and, and, and each book is just written down as it's happening. That's, that's not how the Bible came to be. Actually, you may be surprised to learn that the story of the Bible begins more toward the end of the middle of the Bible than it does with the beginning. See, and it actually begins in the end of the middle of the Bible. You follow me? Stick with me, okay? Because I'm going to give you a lot of history here, but don't, don't tune me out because it's so very important that we understand where this came from. And hopefully you find this history interesting. I, I know that I do, but I'm a pastor, so... Maybe that's just me. Hopefully you find it interesting as well, okay? So the Bible actually begins, began toward the end of the middle with a first century doctor who was not Jewish and who was not Greek. It was a doctor named Luke. And Luke actually sat down and spent the proper time to document the life, the, the events of the life of Jesus Christ. He decided, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write down what happened in the life of Jesus. And the reason why Luke did this was because he had a wealthy friend named Theophilus. And Theophilus was a first century Jesus follower. In other words, he was one of the first Christians that we would, we would call Christians today. I, I, I'm a Christian. Hopefully you're a Christian. He was one of the first century Christians, Theophilus. And Theophilus had heard many stories about this guy named Jesus and he had heard these stories from eyewitnesses who were there when Jesus was performing miracles, who were there when Jesus was, was going through his ministry and was in the middle of his ministry. Theophilus had talked to eyewitnesses who experienced Jesus's ministry firsthand. And they would tell Theophilus their experience and their stories. And he would talk to other people, many, many, many people that he would talk to, uh, learning about the life of Jesus. And so what Theophilus wanted was an orderly account of the events of the life of Jesus. Because there wasn't the Bible yet at this point. At this point, there, this, was, this did not exist. So how did people learn about Jesus? How did people learn about the scripture? How did, you know, a lot of these are ancient writings that people had parts of in different towns or whatever it may be. But the Bible that we know was not in, it was not in existence. It was still being lived out. So Luke was a friend of Theophilus. And Luke, after talking to Theophilus, said, and Theophilus, Theophilus requested, hey, is there any way that I could get an orderly account of the life and the events of Jesus? Because I've heard all these different stories from different eyewitnesses, but I, I want it to be in order that I could follow along so that I could understand. So Luke decided to sit down as Theophilus's friend and documented everything for him. And we now know this document as the Gospel of Luke. 
There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're starting off by talking about Luke. And Luke, which we now know as the Gospel of Luke, was not originally a Gospel. It was just a document put together by Luke for a friend who wanted to know what happened. That's all that it was. Listen to how it begins in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. This is Luke talking. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. See, something worth documenting happened. And Luke has decided to document it, but he isn't the only one. Actually, he says, many people have documented this, and this is actually unusual for history. If we're talking about the history of the world, it is unusual to have many people document the same thing. There are not many cases of multiple written accounts of the same event or series of events, historically speaking. There's not very many of those at all. And in ancient times, we've, we virtually do not have multiple written accounts of the same events at all in ancient times. So what that means is the life of Jesus and, and, the, and the documentation that we have about the life of Jesus and the amount of documentation that we have about the life of Jesus, it actually stands out in this regard. See, many of us would say, well, how do I know that the Bible is true? How do I know that the Bible is real? How do I know that it wasn't just made up by people? How do we know that Luke actually saw these things or that, or that Matthew, Mark, John? How, how, do we, how can we believe it? How can we believe what Paul wrote? How can we believe what the Old Testament prophets wrote? How can we believe what Moses wrote and Solomon and David? How, how do we know it's true? They're, they're, I'm just supposed to believe this? And the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus... It's actually extremely well documented for ancient history and other ancient history that we take as fact and will teach in our schools does not have nearly the amount of documentation that the life of Jesus has. It stands out in that regard. Luke continues in verse chapter three. This is what he says. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. This is important. Luke had no idea that he was writing the Bible. It's not like Luke all of a sudden said, you know what we need? Bible. I'm going to sit down and write it. That's, that's, not, that's not his mentality here. He could not fathom that 2,000 years later, you and I would be reading his writing, and not just you and I, but people all over the world would be reading his writing and learning about the life of Jesus. That was not in the forefront of his mind. All that he was doing was writing for his friend Theophilus. He says, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He didn't say, for you, people 2,000 years later. That's not what he said. He said, for you, most excellent Theophilus. I mean, he was simply creating an orderly account of Jesus's life for his friend based on the people that he interviewed who were eyewitness accounts. He had no idea 
what it would eventually become. And here is why the story of the Bible began. It became clear. It became clear to some people who followed Jesus that Jesus was not who he claimed to be at one point. See, Jesus said great things. Jesus said wonderful things. Jesus had great teachings. And people, many people, even people who don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God in today's day and age, and even back then, many people would have said, yeah, I don't think that he's God, but he, he was a good prophet, a good teacher. I think that, that we can learn things from him. He taught us really good things and positive things and smart things and things that are helpful and practical for our life and, and good ways to go about our life. You know, but I don't know if he was the son of God, but he taught us really great things. And pe most people would agree with that. He said great things, but he said too much about himself. And Jesus was a real person put to death by the Roman Empire. No one disputes this. People who dispute this are, are, are not basing their their knowledge in fact, and is not basing their knowledge in truth. People who don't even agree that Jesus is the son of God would say he was a real person and he was put to death by cross, by, by crucifixion, most people would say. And, but at the very least, he was put to death by the Roman Empire. There's no disputing this. That, that is a fact. And for the first century Jesus followers, what that meant was game over. Jesus was gone. No, no story, no history, no nothing. When Jesus was crucified, it's game over. Everything that they knew and believed was over. For those days that Jesus was dead in the tomb, it was over. There was nothing, nothing moving forward. But Luke documents something amazing. See, two famous men within first century Judaism, Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus, and I, I preached on this uh, within the last year, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, th this story is so very important to the story of how the Bible came to be. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they went to the cross and took Jesus's body down after he was crucified, after he was murdered, after he was killed. And they took his body down for no other reason besides the respect that they had for Jesus. And they decided... Well, I guess Jesus isn't who he said he was. I, I guess that Jesus isn't the son of God. He's, he's dead on this cross. But because we respect him and what he has done and, and the ministry that he had in, this, in, in his life and the impact that he had made, let's go take his body down off the cross and give him a proper burial and put him, put him in a tomb. Luke also talked about two women who had prepared spices and perfume to embalm the body of Jesus. Why? Why did they do that? Because everyone thought that Jesus not only was dead, but would stay dead. The only reason that they brought these spices and these perfumes, and the only reason that Joseph of Arimathea and Luke took his body down off the cross to give him a proper burial and to embalm his body with the two women, the only reason that they did that was because they believed that he was going to stay dead. That's what they believed. And that was the proper ritual to do for dead bodies at that time. Especially the bodies of people that you respected. And if things had ended right there, then there would be no church. There would be no Christians. 
There would be no Old Testament. There would be no New Testament. There would be no Bible. Nothing. The story would have been over. The story would have died. Because even the people who were closest to him, Cassius, how about Cassius? Even the people that were closest to him, the, the disciples, all of his friends and his family, they ran and hid because they were terrified of what would happen to them next. They were scared of what was coming. They knew that they were not safe. If they did this to Jesus, what would they do to me, his disciple? Everybody close to him ran and hid. There was nothing left. No followers, no disciples, no church, no Christians, no Bible, no story to share. Nothing was left. It was all gone. And if Jesus had stayed dead, then that would have been the end of the story. There would have been no gospel of Luke, no gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. None of it would have existed. See, Luke documented the story of Jesus because it didn't end on a Roman cross. That's not where it ended. That, that's, that's not where the story ended. Luke is a follower of Jesus because he saw Jesus alive. Because Jesus was seen alive. And Jesus' followers were then able to come out of hiding. Because they saw Jesus. The disciples, the people closest to him, they were, they, people saw Jesus alive. And they were then able to come out of hiding and face down the very people who had Jesus crucified. That's what they were able to do. Luke also documents these early sermons of the disciples after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. After that, because remember, after Jesus was just crucified, all the disciples were scared to death and were hiding, scared for their life, not wanting to die, not wanting to face the same outcome that Jesus faced. And because Jesus did not stay dead, because Jesus was resurrected, and came back to life, those same disciples were able to come out of hiding and preach the precious story of Jesus Christ. And Luke, not only did he write the gospel of Luke, he also documented a lot of these early sermons from the disciples. And what these people said in the face of actually being arrested and crucified like Jesus was documented by Luke in the book of Acts. And this, this, is, what, this is what a few of them said. This, this is what Peter said. Peter, one of his disciples, maybe, maybe the most famous disciple of, of all of the disciples. This is what Peter said in Acts chapter two, verse 32. God has raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. And this, my friends, this right here is where the Jesus movement, the church, was birthed. This is where it began. This, this is where the church began. But we still don't have this. We still don't have the Bible. This is, this is the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. After the story of Jesus in the gospel. And Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and then ascended back to heaven. After he had seen, been seen by hundreds of people. Thousands of people. See, Luke goes on to document what happens over the next 30 years. Not only does he document the story and the ministry of Jesus, he then goes on to document the next 30 years after the resurrection. And this is what we call the book of Acts in the New Testament. The book of Acts follows the, all, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. The book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we read about the amazing things 
that happens through the life of Peter, through the life of John, through the life of James, the brother of Jesus, through the, through the life of Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament following this, and more, right? And we still have to go back to how Luke started off his account of Jesus, which was, I'm going to remind you, Luke 1.1, 1, 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And the question that we should ask ourselves is this, why so many? Why so many? Why so many people decided to document about the life of Jesus? Why would so many people do this, write this down? It, it was one, expensive to do. It's not, not like today where pen and paper is, is cheap and many of us can just write things down on our computers. It's not, it's not like that, right? It's expensive to do this. You gotta get the materials to do this. That's one. Two, most people were illiterate. Most people could not read. Why in the world would so many people document the life of Jesus? And we know that so many people document. We don't just have to take Luke's word for it. There are many documents talking about this person named Jesus. Why so many people would document it? We've got four right here in the Bible and the gospel. And the answer is undeniable. Because something extraordinary happened. That's the answer. Something extraordinary happened. Something amazing happened. And the Gospel of Mark, which was written by John Mark, but came from the lips of Peter, who was most likely illiterate. See, Peter decided, you know what? I also need to document. Not, not just Luke. So Luke, Luke documented his Gospel. Peter decided, I need to document what happened, what I witnessed as well. But I can't, write, I can't read or write, so I'm going to do it through, uh, through John Mark, which is known as the Book of Mark. Matthew... The tax collector, he decided to also sit down and make his own account of the, of the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew, which was originally recorded in Hebrew because it was meant for the Jewish people, was later translated into Greek because we realized, because people realized, this is not just for the Jewish people. This is for all people. This is for Gentiles. This is for more people. It was later translated into Greek because the early church knew that this message was meant for everybody. And then we have the Gospel of John which was recorded after all other Gospels when John was an old man. See, this, why would John also write down his own account of the life of Jesus if there were already so many? Why would he do that? We already had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and many other accounts of Jesus. Why would John, at the end of his life, decide, you know what, I need to sit down and also document the, the accounts as, as I witness them? as I experienced them. John talks about all the miracles that he saw Jesus perform in the Gospel of John. And then eventually he says this in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. And this gives us insight into why he decided to also have his own account. It says this, John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Jesus did so many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, talking about the the things that he wrote down, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So why record his own account? Because what he saw with his own eyes is too important to keep to himself. It's, it's too important. It's too amazing for him to just keep it all to himself. Instead, it can help you believe. Who is you? You is you. You is me. You is the person next to you. You is the person to the other side of you. You is your family, your friends, your coworkers. John is saying, 
What I saw, what I witnessed, and what I experienced is so unbelievable and so amazing that I have to write it down because you may be impacted by it and because you may believe that Jesus is who he said he was, which at one point, and still today, many people don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was. But when Jesus was crucified, like we just talked about, and dead, everyone said, well, this isn't true. And then lo and behold, three days later, there he is. And all the people who were scared no longer were scared. But even so, still at this point, we still have no Bible. All the gospels are written. We still don't have this. Where, where did this even come from? We have accounts. We have sacred writings and scripture that, that people would look at, but not the Bible as we know it. So we get to the end of the first century and we have thousands of Christians, Jew, Jewish, Greek, Roman, and more. Thousands, thousands of different people. But these documents, the gospels, are floating around for people to read. You know, uh, maybe, maybe a town has, has one or maybe two or three gospels or part of a couple and they're piecing them all together. But it's not like, okay, here's your Bible delivered by Amazon to your doorstep, right? It's, it's, they're, they're just getting a few things here and there. So they're, they're all, like a few different copies that then turn into hundreds of copies that then turn into thousands of copies floating around telling the life of Jesus and they are meticulously copied and bundled together, meticulously put together. That, that's the way that it is. Some people have one, two, a few. Can you imagine how valuable these writings would have been to you? From the very beginning, they were considered valuable. They were considered valuable, reliable, sacred, and eventually inspired. That's what these writings were considered. So extremely valuable. And knowing what we know now, it shouldn't surprise you to know that these four documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, very quickly became known as scripture more than 250 years before a Bible was even made. Before we had this, the gospels were considered scripture. 250 years, more than 250 years before one of these were even made. And at this point, the Roman Empire was still an enemy to Christians. See, in the year 303, 303, Emperor Diocletian issued an edict that resulted in the worst state-sponsored persecution of Christians at that time. And if you were caught with Christian literature, then you and your family were murdered. If you were caught with Christian literature at this time in the year 303, in the Roman Empire, Emperor, Emperor Diocletian decided that you would be killed. And not just killed. You were forced to watch your children murdered, your wife murdered, and then you murdered. That's the way that it was. Awful. Christian literature was not allowed. So those Christians at that time, in the early church, those Christians, they risked their lives to, to preserve the gospel. They risked everything. They knew that just having some of these sacred scripture, having some of these sacred writings in their home could cost them their lives. 
but they did it anyways. Why? Because they knew how valuable it was, how important it was and is to the world. But even during that persecution, Christianity continued to spread. It's amazing. Even during that time, Christianity did not just still exist. It grew. It spread. It became larger. And then, that was in the year 303. And then by the year 324, Constantine the Great became emperor. And Constantine decided to cancel those edicts. He returned property to the church. He allowed Christians to worship freely. And Christianity became the preferred religion of the Roman Empire. And it still is today. It's, an, it's amazing to look back at history and to see what happened. And Christian scholars were then able to work in the open. Christian scholars were then able to bring together this extraordinary collection of valuable documents that had been floating around from generation to generation, from different people to different people. And then, and then they were then allowed, they were freely able to form what we call the New Testament together and then to create the very first Bible, which we'll talk about more next week and in the coming weeks. So that's the story of how the Bible began, where it came from. Started from a doctor who decided, you know what? Now, now not the stories in the Bible. The stories in the Bible started much earlier than that. But th th this actual thing came to be because Luke decided that he was going to document the life of Jesus for his friend Theophilus which then he recognized that many other people also did that. Matthew, Mark, Peter through Mark, John, others. It grows, it continues to go, and it grew because Jesus defeated the grave. It grew because Jesus was who he said he was, is who he says he is. It grew because something extraordinary happened. And then all of a sudden, this documentation that Luke decided to write for his friend Theophilus, who was interested in it, grew to become the Gospel of Luke, to become the Gospels, to become the New Testament, to become the Old Testament and the New Testament together, to become what we know today as the Bible. And that is something that should be celebrated. See, this was not written with this in mind by people. This, the words of the creator of the universe through people, was written because God did something extraordinary in the lives of people. And we can find life because of it. And we'll talk more about it next week. Let's close in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your word that is holy, that is inspiring, that is inspired by you, and that is life-giving. I pray that we do not take the Bible lightly, but instead I pray that we look at this, that we read this, that we form our life and our faith off of this, that we get to a place in life where we say, God, I just want more of you and I want to digest more of you. I want to live more like you and I want to read more about you and experience more of you. Thank you that Luke decided to sit down and write about the life of Jesus for his friend Theophilus. Thank you that all of the other writings happened 
and the Gospels. Thank you for the prophets in the Old Testament. Thank you for Moses. Thank you for David and for Solomon. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for all of the things that, that are put into this book. God, I pray that our church is a representation of how you want churches to be. Help us have the same courage and boldness that the early church had, that knew what the value of what we have in our hands right now. God, you are a great God, and we worship your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.